Hold on, I'm just checking if we're live. I think so. Yes, we are. All right, we're live from the beautiful Southern California to all curious minds around the world. Welcome to the one of the perhaps one of the most anticipated Singularity Syndicate episode. Um, and um, I have the pleasure to uh, met uh, Zach, Zachary Carter um, in a hike recently, and we had such a stimulating conversation and um, and we decided and delighted that uh, Zach um, uh, agreed to uh, to be our guest uh, here to have this discussion. I want to welcome uh, Zach and uh, Zach, if you can uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yes, thank you, Naja. And yeah, I wanted to say yes to this invite to talk about artificial intelligence, uh, in particular the future. Um, not only because I've worked as a software developer most of my professional career, but especially since a few decades ago, kind of reading about the general uh, phenomenon of increasing complexity in our universe in, this, in the sense of uh, that artificial, is, artificial intelligence is a continuation of that kind of evolution of complexity. And it's something I read about probably decades ago and have continuously thought about um, it's something I'm passionate and interesting, interested about uh, continuing to explore potentially for my whole life. So I got excited when you when we were talking about it and you invited me. Thank you for letting me be here. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Zach. Um, and again, we've been doing a lot of uh, webinars here on uh, Singularity Syndicate. And it's uh, our first um, actual interview. And I'm very excited because... Um, we're discussing the things that I enjoy discussing most, uh, existential things, deep um, uh, questions and stuff like that, like the future of artificial intelligence. And, um, and also we're going to touch on consciousness and what is it to be human and all of these uh, important uh, questions. Uh, but now I want to welcome the the audience uh, who are listening to this. And uh, please um, feel free to uh, chat with us, uh, tell us where you're coming from, where you're listening from. And also we'd like to have an idea on uh, how, how much do you really understand AI? So we wanna know like what kind of audience we have and how much do you really um, know um, AI? So from, from one to 10, let us know like how much do, uh, do you uh, understand it? And uh, while doing that, uh, make sure you uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. So uh, I appreciate the support. We definitely need it. And um, um, yeah, whether you're 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 on YouTube or Facebook or Twitch or Twitter and all 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 over, we really appreciate your support, following, and and um, you know voting with your time and voting with your with your clicks. So let's see. So now we have, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reviewing the chat. So there's like people from Los Angeles, uh, CAD Design. Thank you for attending. Um, LA as well. Um, Sean Harris, uh, welcome. Um, uh, Jessica, she's from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, I guess. GA, Georgia, right? Like, I'm not very familiar with the US. Uh, um, acronyms and then 
Okay, we've got uh, Diana from Rancho. Reina, nice to see you again. Yeah, uh, welcome everyone. So um, again, uh, we'd love to know about your, like from one to 10, like how much you understand AI. In the meantime, we can start with, um, with talking about the purpose, the ever evolving purpose of this platform, of this um, group. So Singularity Syndicate started as as soon as um, ChatGPT, I think I think I have to tell the back backstory. So the backstory is that I've been like you, Zach. I've been an advocate or a, an enthusiast about artificial intelligence way before ChatGPT came along. So I was um, reading about it. I have um, I read plenty of books uh, about AI, and I was hoping that in my lifetime we can actually see something like that evolving. So as soon as ChatGPT came, I remember I was uh, in the office and I saw the newsletter that I clicked on and I was like, oh my God, this is happening. And I know it was just the beginning. Uh, so, um, so I was super excited. So the way I um, materialized that excitement was to create a group to see, is there anybody else excited about this technology like me? So I was looking for other people who are interested in, in this technology. And so I created Singularity Syndicate. And at first I was like, okay, let's raise awareness on ChatGPT. Let's say, okay, let, tell, let, let me tell people like, what is this technology? Especially that I'm doing my master's in information systems and I'm like studying all of the technical side of things. So I wanted to share that knowledge. Um, and then we start doing these webinars, and then these webinars, um, you know, diverged into what we're doing right now, which is a discussion between with uh, industry experts like yourself, like you've been working in DreamWorks and you're a programmer, so you definitely know a lot more than me about the intricacies of this technology, and we'll come we'll come to define it at one point uh, early, uh, like later in the discussion. Um, then I read this book. So all of this happening was like, okay, let's share information. Let's share information with the, with the people. Until I read this book that is called Scary Smart by Maud Gaudet. This book um, changed the frame from, um, from a technology that is developed by these big giant companies like OpenAI, Google, Facebook, all of this stuff. And, and we, the people, have no agency whatsoever. To, to a more of, this book changed my perception to a point like, no, we have agency. And what this book tells us that we actually can control the AI child that we are raising. And it frames it in a way that the people, the general public, are the parent of this AI because even the big companies do not have full control or they don't even understand how AI works. So, which means that AI works with data and we the people are the data. So if you're on social media and you're scrolling, if you spend time um, watching a, um, a piece of, uh, of news that is um, strengthening the divisions in the American society, for example, 
it's it's that you are telling AI that this is what I want. This is the content I want. And then AI will obligingly keep feeding you that division. And then now we have a divided society. Instead, if we collectively start to, you know, know uh, be conscious about our behaviors on the on the internet, we will be a, we parent this AI to be uh, in the image of us. And if we're behaving well and we're doing we're doing good for for humanity, we're doing we're we're back to basics, ethical, moral standards. Now we're teaching AI that this is the image of humanity that uh, they that the AI has to build, and this is a very revolutionary concept, making me feel that Singularity Syndicate has a role to promote this kind of um, idea that we as human beings or we the population are the new parents of this AI child, and whatever we do will shape the future of that technology. So that makes me feel excited that we are an agency more than just um, mere consumers of that technology. If I may, Naja, just to expand on that some. First of all, I just wanted to say it's it's fascinating to me that we both, in thinking about this, preparing for this, kind of came to the uh, the notion that we're basically the parents of, of artificial intelligence. And I came to that independently in almost the exact, like from a, from a different place, but came to the same sort of conclusion. But it's so you you touched on kind of the um, I guess what I would call the analytics, the kind of popularity, the votes that we have by giving attention to certain streams of data and that kind of guiding what's uh, teaching AI, what's important. But I, I think I'd go even farther and, and expand that and broaden that to basically the entire corpus of, of all written material that we've ever created, because if we can assume that all of that is going to be ingested into digital form. Most of it, I, I believe, probably already has been. And um, so basically, even even things that were written, whether they be fiction or nonfiction, decades or even a century ago, is is included in that. Since at least for now, you know, the, the main AI we're talking about is a language model. And it essentially has the, the ability to read all of the written form, everything we've ever written. And I guess it seems it hasn't quite done that yet. Just recently, I was asking very specific questions about specific books and, and, AI, and AI, chat GPT confessed to me that it hasn't actually specifically read all the books, but it's read reviews of them. And that's where it gets a lot of its synopsis from. But I, I think it's reasonable to assume at some point, um, given how much computing power that the cloud has, that it, it will eventually read everything. Absolutely. And, and uh, you said something very interesting that I have one slide about um, and I'm going to reveal the slide. So this is basically what ChatGPT, and this is the 3.5 version, was being trained on. And I happened to find this, like exactly the, the numbers, uh, the quantity of tokens on the data sets. So it read, um, in terms of, there's like two collections of books. Um, collectively, we uh, ChatGPT read, um, what's 55 plus 12, like 67 billion books, right? Like if we are humans, we want to read all of this, but it's good luck, you know? <laughs> um, and the common crawl would be the internet data. So it read 410 billion. Uh, so yeah, I find this very interesting uh, that I stumbled upon. And then speaking of, uh, Zach, could you explain as a programmer, as someone who worked in technology, what's your understanding of 
AI in general and generative AI specifically for the audience who probably want to know more about this? Yeah, without getting too specific, but just to mention um, neural networks, if you want to read about it, are, are, are the basic uh, computer programming foundation of what of what these language models are built on. And it, it's, you know, it uses the term neuron because it's essentially modeled with the way that neurons work in in human physiology is that they they fire and they they try a lot of possibilities and they essentially learn by trial and error. Um, and since there's so much computing power and, and the speed of computers is so great, they're essentially able to try things continuously um, and build up a, a uh, I guess that's what we call the language model. It, it builds up a model of the, of, of the data set that it's, that it's designed to work in. And, in. and in the case of chat GPT, that's basically human language. Um, so then it has a predictive model of how that works. And, it, and one of the reasons it's so hard for us to know specifically why um, why certain why certain outcomes come from asking questions, for example, from chat GPT is that this model is is essentially just zeros and ones. It doesn't exist in like a human readable form. So if we want to know why, for example, chat GPT might give us a wrong answer on something, it's very difficult still for us to do that. But, but when I think of AI, I, I'm generally thinking of just uh, very in a very broad sense, I'm thinking of like a an artificial brain in the cloud that just has access to all the written work, all the written data on the Internet. Um, and it's learning based on the training that was done before it was released to the public. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're continuing to try to try to refine that so that it doesn't have these these wrong answers that it sometimes gives us. But to tell you the truth, I'm not specifically uh, uh, in in the know enough to know exactly what they're doing to try to to try to train those those fit, those errors out of it. Yeah, no, of course, but but you you I think you've nailed it pretty pretty accurately. Um, I would say that uh, what we're talking about there's some sort of a similarity, but also some sort of distinction between generative AI, which is the recent um, ChatGPT, Bard, all of the com competitors of these la large language models, but also AI has been um, has been there for quite a while. So all the way from the Turing test in the 50s uh, until what you mentioned about uh, the deep learning in uh, 2012, I think. Deep, deep learning, when, when this deep learning as, is uncovered, it kind of sparked uh, the idea of um, machine learning. And then we have been using machine learning in not only like generative AI, but also in uh, your social media algorithms, your Amazon recommendation systems, your the detecting uh, the cancer detectors and, and pattern recognition. So the AI is not only just ChatGPT, it's also um, embedded in most of the uh, software tools that we're using. Um, and, and the revolution happens really is when, um, when this magic formula that you talked about, and I had it in my previous uh, webinars, which is lots and lots of data plus lots of lots of computation power plus advancement in algorithms made us, uh, made, brought us um, ChatGPT, which was the fastest growing um, um, website or tool 
uh, in the world um, to one to 100 million users in just two months, surpassing all of the big famous social media um, outlets. And we talked about the data it was trained on. And of course, the GPT-4 was trained on even a larger amount of data. But I found this slide as well that shows exactly how it works. So in the essence of ChatGPT is basically a um, word completion uh, model. For example, the cat sat on that, and now GPT is there to finish that sentence. So it will start ranking all of the probabilities of how often this sentence comes, what word comes after this sentence, and how often and it ranks them. And sure enough, Matt is the 0.21, so it will put Matt on that. And then it will... Um, it will append it. And of course, you as a programmer, you know what appending means. So it will add it. So it will it will generate years and it will add it to the original sentence and it will generate a go and it will add it to a go. And that's how you, you will see the chat GPT is actually typing it because it's kind of appending it. So there's that. And then they added a reinforcement model on top of that. And this reinforcement model will help, will give feedback. So a prompt GPT answer, and then there's a reward model that ranks it and gives it rating. And then this rating gives back an answer. Uh, so basically, I find this uh, interesting, and I wanted to, like, you know, explain briefly how does it work for the for the general public. Try to simplify it as much as possible. Um, but but is it is this everything like is because when you interact with GPT four, which is really the title of this uh, topic, you feel like a sense of deep reasoning and understanding of what we're trying to do, even we, we without we, even we, we imply things, and I'm always surprised every day I'm using it because it's it's just is it just word completion? Do you think? Well, one, the first question actually that comes to mind is that it, I don't know how it can just be that is because uh, how does it start? Because you don't give it even the start of what it says. So I, I don't quite I don't personally understand where it gets the start on this stuff. Like, it, OK, so it's a completion model, but the, it has to start somewhere. And I don't I don't fully know where it gets the start from. But but I have the same sense from you when I interact with it, that it's, it's somehow the great greater than the sum of its parts. There's. And that I, that I think is what's leading us to want to talk in this philosophical sense is that it's, uh, and even that you probably, maybe some of the people don't know here, but there was, there's articles written about one of the Google engineers from the Bard team and how he, uh, I can't remember if he either left his job or, or was let go because he was convinced that, that the, that the artificial intelligence was alive. So this, this is not a phenomenon that that's unique to my experience and yours. It's uh, even the people that helped program some of these uh, completion, these language completion models got the sense from them that there's there's something um, profound here. Much that that kind of creates a sense of awe in us when we interact with it. Yeah, profound and and leads to uh, the the nature of this technology, which is by regarded by most of the thinkers, is transformative. Is as big as the internet. It's, it's, it's a technology like no other is going to change everything. 
And therefore, you know, you see Mac, uh, Max uh, Tegmark saying that it's a 3.0, it's life 3.0. So it's a different, it's a new era that humanity is venturing into. Uh, Byron Reese said it's the fourth age, right? Ray Kurzweil is this, you know, the singularity is near. So these people have, are seeing something profound, as you said, that it's it's going to change pretty much everything. It's People compare it to fire, the invention of fire. The invention of fire did uh, an amazing thing, and this is coming from uh, one of the books that I'm currently reading called The Fourth Age, which I mentioned, which is really fascinating, Zach. So what he's saying is that what fire, we were hunter and gatherers. We were like roaming around the forest and living day by day. But then we invented fire. And then what fire did is allowed us to cook food and therefore helps us with digestion. So it allowed us to consume more calories than with raw food. Even uh, when you cook meat or when you cook plants, you extract more protein and more ingredients from them that is digestible to the human. So we, we managed to consume a lot of calories because of fire. So our brain starts to grow because where this calorie is going to go through, we have an excess of energy. So, so according to the author, it started growing our brain. And now when we have the brain, we invented language. And language allowed us to be the kings of the, the forest because even if a lion can beat you and me in an instant, uh, if, 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 if in a fight, but he, the lion cannot beat me and you and 10 others working together. And this changed everything because now we have language we can communicate. And that, that the kind of technology, language and fire are considered the artificial intelligence of that era. What do you think about that? And then, and then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, that that uh, that trend continues, and I, I don't know is is your next slide that showing that because you were gonna you were gonna yeah, show how that, that just keeps going. Yeah. So fire and language, then the wheel, um, and the and the agriculture, right? Uh, which and, allowed... and what the question that comes to mind when I see this, and I, I think I'll just ask it first before giving my opinion is what is the trend. Because you know, you notice you mentioned how like, well, when when we could uh, when we could cook, well, then we started to work together more, and then we became a more for formidable force in nature. But that that trend continues, and uh, to yeah. me, I, I was mostly only thinking back in terms of about as far back as the industrial revolution. But but certainly, it goes all the way back to the beginning, like you're showing here. But what is the actual what what over that entire time span? What is that essentially uh, changing? So in his book, The Fourth Age, he's talking about when it comes to transformative technology, it has to be truly transformative. In, in what sense? It, it is the impact of this technology on the human being is, is changing either the biology or the way of life in something that has never seen before. So for example, when we invented fire, it changes our biology. So our biology was impacted by fire we, we our brain grows so that what 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 we changed our genes because of that and then once our the language was invented it also 
help even grow the brain even further because now there's this need of computation in our head that we need to, um, you know, to compute the language. And there are some concepts that only can be understood by language. Uh, and then the agricultural, uh, when we invented agriculture, it helps us be stationary. Because before that, we were, um, we were just roamers, like we go from one place to another. With agriculture, we, we, we became stationary. And because agriculture required planning, we start having an idea of the future. Like what is the, the concept of future? And that's what agriculture gave us. And then we had the wheel and we have the writing. So now not only, we, uh, we, you know, before that they used to memorize, like they used to memorize the laws and stuff. But now we outsource our memory to the writing. And now writing plus wheel, so this written, this knowledge, this uh, mental intellect could travel from one place to another. So collectively we become more aware, more knowledgeable. So this was the second uh, revolution. And then uh, the wheel and the steam engine uh, pumped us into the, um, the industrial revolution, right? And then all the way leading to the computer and the internet, which led us to the artificial intelligence. So this is basically the historical snapshot of transformative technologies. And arguably artificial intelligence is the next wave. That yeah. is and, and, to, and to summarize for me, it's basically an increase in a few different things in tandem. It's an increase in complexity in, I guess, what you'd call the, the human-made world. Um, and then which, which coincides or, or I, I guess makes possible an, a continuing evolution for us. And, and you use the term awareness, which is what I pick up on because that's, that's what it is to me. It's an increase in consciousness, or you might call it evolution. Um, and, and, and it seems that to me that we are evolving together. So the, the complexity of what we're able to be aware of are in a human sense, um, and the complexity of our built environment are, are, are together progressing towards greater complexity. And I think you'd call it an extension of evolution. So in, in a sense with AI, I, I think this was an idea of Ray Kurzweil in, in, in that book or one of his other books. If you just think of evolution in the universe as a general phenomenon, that perhaps it, it crosses over from biology into machines. Um, and I don't know if probably get to later, but that, that can continue into a point where um, perhaps it's necessary in, in terms of uh, the speed at which evolution needs to happen. Because we might not be able to, as biology, evolve at a rate that's fast enough uh, to keep up with the with growing dangers in the universe, and I, I think we'll get into more of that later. Yeah, absolutely. Now you know, we're, we're touching on the philosophy part. Like, are we really programmed to uh, evolution? Must happen? Is this some, some, something that we're designed to do? Um, are we designed? Are we just a form of nature? So we're going to delve into that. But before let, before let's just give some the audience some sort of the upcoming future like what do you think of the coming um, two to five possibly the 10 years coming ahead what do you think is going to change in our work 
in our social life, in our like, how we're gonna, what's gonna happen? So at least at first, it's um, obviously, you know, Singularity Syndicate did a, the, the meeting I attended a few weeks ago where we were talking about the kind of jobs that this might this, this, this place. And I must admit, first, I was I've been somewhat un, uh, underwhelmed at first, perhaps because um, at least to me in, as a computer programmer, the what what AI is capable of so far is is deterministic. And even though we can't explain exactly how it arrives at, at answers, we have a sense that the, the algorithm that's that leads to, you know, how it how it create outputs what it outputs is a deterministic one, and in, in that sense, it's not. Um, it's, it, it doesn't have the kind of unexpected uh, ability for for creative new novel things that uh, that humans are, are are generally regarded as being able to create out of nothing, but. Um, Certainly in the near term, my sense is that it's going to be confusing and exciting and, and, and also uh, just like all the other technologies that came before it, disrupting in the sense that for some people it will be, it may, it may feel negative because it will displace these things. But overall, I want to say it's like things that can be done by a machine, if it can be done, you know, it will be done much better by by the machine than, than any human and we're seeing that already and yeah that's something to um to be both excited and concerned about in the same sense that that things like you know m m machining of the industrial revolution displaced jobs um but i think overall in the long term it's going to be really exciting after the first growing pains because it means that some of those tedious tasks won't need to be done by us anymore and to me, and history has proven that we generally create more interesting jobs when we when we get when we kind of uh, engineer out the the more tedious jobs. So that's kind of my sense of, of of what we're going through right now. Absolutely. And speaking of that, I found this meme, and it's super funny. In 2010, there's this dude saying the plant I've worked all my life has shut down, and my hometown is dying. And then there's this know-it-all guy who say, learn how to code. And then in 2023, <laughs> ChatGPT has just destroyed my programming job. And right. the, the same guy was like, ha, 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 learn how to, to weld. So it's just uh, really nobody knows what's going on. This tells us to really, even when I remember uh, reading about AI, they were like, oh, the creative jobs are not going to be touched, right? So, and then the first thing that that um, ChatGPT did was, you know, like attacking the writers and the, yeah. you know, designers and all of the people who who, who work in the creative industry. So, uh, this is a, a period of uncertainty, and um, and I I want to second your your opinion about my pessimism, my uh, optimism about the technology, because yeah, at first it's going to be um, probably uh, confusing for people um, for even for companies, but I think it will amplify what we can do as, as humans, as employees, as business owners, as whatever we're doing, we can, especially people work in the information sector, whatever we're doing, we're going to do it 10x. And this 10x is gonna boost the economy. 
in my opinion, I think a lot of people on YouTube have been saying that uh, AI is deflationary because of all the job losses. But I think it's uh, like medium term, it's going to be, um, uh, it's going to have a lot of economic progress. I know that for a fact that right now, 90% of uh, Y Combinator startup uh, getting funded, uh, they're funded for AI related uh, companies. So we're going to see a huge boom in terms of startup businesses running um, AI. Uh, AI is going to be in everywhere and it's going to be a huge economical boom. And I would also see that there's going to be an accelerated scientific discovery. So major earthy problems like um, uh, global warming and um, you know, cancer probably are going to be solved uh, in, in in the coming few years because we have uh, the collective brain of uh, of humanity at our fingertips. Um, and I think in the kind of far, far but near future, I would say, especially after the introduction of uh, the Apple Vision Pro, have you seen it? Yeah, of course. It's incredible. And uh, I think with this uh, VR, um, it might allow us, because I've always been saying that we will be connected to the oracles at all times. So we're going to live in, a, we're going to interact with a world that is augmented. It's not going to be the only the, the real world. So if you're going in nature with having our glasses, tell us what this plant is and what this tree is. If we're going... Um, uh, if we are going in, in, in at work, we're going to be interacting with uh, dual worlds. We're going to interact with the digital world and the real world. And um, yeah, the Apple Vision Bro, I think I, I had my Oculus, um, but the Oculus is like shuts you down. And this one keeps you keeps you aware of your surroundings, which I find fascinating. So I think in the future, we're going to be more and more connected in real time with AI and AI will be our assistant. And the edge between me and you is like, is my AI better than yours? And, or is, you, is yours better than mine? And who can afford a better AI? And then you can go all the way to saying, oh, would um, Elon Musk's AI be better than Bill Gates' AI? And, and now these power games will be played upon. Yeah, for me, one of, I think the thing I'm most excited about is there's countless times when I'm either engaged in conversation with someone or um, or just out walking, and whether it be in a city or in nature, and I and I think of something, and if I'm with some someone, we might mention it, but might, neither of us might know, and we might might make a mental note to like, oh, I'll look, I'll look that up later, but but then I forget, and I think to me, what's exciting is if it's if the more accessible this is with something like this these glasses will make it much more convenient to to get that kind of input immediately and uh, I'm just excited with with what that cut, that could lead to because I think it if it can move at the speed of our thought then I think um, I, I just think we'll have more we'll go even deeper in our thought is is my sense of what will happen yeah absolutely I'm looking at some of the comments um... So we've got um, first features uh, talking about a feature film. I'd like to know more about that if you can reach out. Um, and we have, let's see, um, 
Yeah, there are some people commenting uh, commenting on the previous uh, previous uh, part. Okay, so now we're we're heading to the exist to the exciting uh, talk about um, the like the third dimension of all of this. So, you feel that long term, are we going to be in a utopia or a dystopia? I, I guess I can start with, I think we're going to be in a utopia. And, and I guess, let me explain why. Um, the, the main thing I was, ex I was excited. The main thing I was excited to discuss today is this idea of, um, goes back to the, the kind of parent child relationship that, that we kind of both recognize with AI and, uh, uh, and humans and with us and us being the parent of, of, of that. And, um, and, it, and it's, it's all connected to everything we've just said about this kind of continued evolution and um, speed of accelerating, speed of increasing complexity in our world. Um, so I, I think the place to start is, well, and it also includes kind of this question of whether, because um, you're asking, is, is it a dystopia? There's basically, there's a concern that AI could be, uh, could want to destroy us, I, I guess, in a sense, right? If it, if it really has this power to have an intellect greater than ours, there's, a, there's this sense of worry that maybe it could become uh, so powerful that it would destroy us. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen simply because of, I think that in nature, there's, there are patterns. And the pattern that I see in this kind of parent-child relationship is that the child wants to emulate its parent. So, so, so we kind of talked about how the AI is learning by, based on seeing what we, um, what we deem as, as popular, but it's also learning. I think it will at some point have the ability to discern what is fiction and nonfiction. I think we can, we can assume that like human children, it, it will, if it doesn't already eventually have that ability to discern between the two. And it's going to, it's going to learn based on how we've treated each other is, is my sense. And, and that's a great responsibility because it means that uh, <laughs> it means it's even greater onus on us to treat each other equally. And, and it's scary to think that it's going to have access to learn about uh, the wars, the, about Nazi Germany and about slavery. Um, it's going to know that. <laughs> so, and, and, and I think this was this this concept was explored. I have to bring in the film to it since I worked in the film industry. I think that the notion was kind of explored in um, James Cameron's uh, The Abyss, because in that film, it's it's not AI, but it's uh, it's aliens had come to Earth and they have the ability to manipulate water. And they're basically consuming. They're basically looking at all the media that we've put out. And, and at first they want to destroy us. But in the end, when they see the, cap the, cap the capacity for humans to love each other, they just they decide not to destroy us. And I just have a faith. I, I don't know that it's a logical faith, but it's 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 based on patterns that I've seen in the world, which is that you know there there are so many stories, perhaps of like um, the hero either wants to know their father or their god, and and has this tendency to want to emulate them. And I, and I believe that that will extend to AI. And if it does, eventually have the capacity to be as as much of a life as we are then it, it will want to emulate us that will be its natural tendency and and i think at least so far we haven't destroyed ourselves um but it but it but it does leave a lot of room for um potential because as we've been 
um, destructive to ourselves. It, there, there may be some of that. Uh, but in the long term, I, my sense is that the, uh, the good prevails over the evil. Yeah, I, I second your opinion, but I also uh, want to, uh, I don't want to downsize the dystopia uh, scenario. And I, I don't want to dis- downsize it because of two reasons. Number one, as you're saying, um, AI is going to have access on the information that we put out of, or put out on, on in digital form. Right. So uh, the problem is that, uh, you know, what, what, if you look at the social media's landscape, what is the most talked about things? Do you see positives or negatives? So most of what is being talked about on the social media is, are the negative. Right. The killers, the people living in harmony, or like most of the people, 90% of them are not serial killers. But who gets the news? The serial killer. Most of the people, uh, most of the world is not in war. But who gets the news? The war. So what my concern is that what and that's probably part of what we're doing here in single ed to try to like promote like you know what we should put more positive stories out there because every story every tweet every post that is positive and human and loving and all of this stuff is also showing the ai a different side of humanity um and the more we capitalize on this kind of content the the better we can parent that that child another concern is that is going to be a source of power for people with with money and and and, and influence so I was talking government, politicians, we're talking rich people who want to be richer, who want to remain in power. So they're going to build, imagine, imagine here's a scenario. Imagine you're, um, you're um, Elon Musk, but a version of Elon Musk that is completely devilish. Okay, it's like you're a devil Elon Musk. Let's call Elon Dusk. Let's call him Elon Dusk. So Elon Dusk is a, has a lot of money, a lot of power and a lot of smartness and he wants to build a, an AI that keeps him uh, money and uh, keeps him in power so what what Elon Dusk will do is will tell the AI your job is to make me as much money as possible and give me as much power as possible so this will be the ultimate goal for that child and then this child goes and collects collects more and more money but then once this, this child this AI collecting this money you know are people who are opposing you people who are like filing lawsuits all of this stuff and now ai will have to come up with new goals of you know manipulating people manipulating public opinion to serve the power hungry elon dusk let's say yeah you see what i'm saying so now we have this this ai that imagine like you have a child and you raise him on the values of, you know, it's all about money and power and greed and all means, uh, you know, you can, you have to achieve your goal by all means necessary and you don't regard of any morals or ethics. And that's kind of the kind of child we're raising. That's kind of the scenario where um, AI is going to get into in the wrong hands Let's say, I don't know, Putin or whatever. Mm-hmm. He has this AI and th- this AI has a different version of what is true according to what is fed. And now we have an AI wars between the good and evil. Yep. 
And I think it's logical to assume that some of that's going to happen. I, th I think it will. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it, 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 it can be, get quite bad. And uh, well, before this meeting, I had this idea. I asked ChatGPT um, what, what should be done to guard against uh, AI being danger to humanity. And it, and it gave kind of what I would consider an expected response. You know, it's like we've, we need to build in these safeguards so that uh, humans can deactivate it if and when it becomes dangerous or it gets out of hand. Um, but I'm, I, I'm underwhelmed by that because in the sense I, I feel like um, it, the acceleration of it might happen so fast that, that even if we build in those safeguards, um, we may either make a mistake or, or the AI may somehow grow beyond them. Um, and then I just look to history again at the greatest, the most complex kind of things that we've created. Perhaps you might consider uh, nuclear reactors and them, or, or or the the you know the spacecraft that we that we launch into orbit. And we've had we've had accidents with those, and and we we built but we built safeguards into those. And so it just leads me to believe that no matter how how much how much we try to create a fail-safe system, we may not be able to. <laughs> uh, so I think I think. Yeah, you're right to not downplay the dystopian aspect because I, I think it is going to be at play. I don't, I, perhaps we haven't even seen it yet, and it, but it's going to happen. I, I think I think it's logical to assume we're going to see it. Absolutely, and also, um, so I forgot the thought. But what I'm trying to say, you're dealing with an entity that is going to be far superior than your intelligence. As a, as, a, as a regular person. Like I, I always have, I love I loved chess and I love to give analogies with chess because chess is like a kind of a picture of life. If I am rated, if I am a master level and I'm playing a beginner, even if the beginner is so smart and will have the fail safe options in place and stuff, but because I'm far way, way smarter I would easily anticipate all what this beginner is trying to do, right? So, yeah. so if we really reach the singularity, as explained by Ray Kurzweil, where AI start teaches itself and goes into a loop of self-development by itself, so uh, it will ex exponentially increase its intelligence every day and every minute and every hour. Yeah. And now we're dealing with an entity that is far more superior in terms of intelligence that like, comparable like to us to an ant, for example, right? And we talked about this on the hike where like if you're dealing with, with an ant, you would expect everything the ant might do. Like you will anticipate all of its actions. You will not be able, the ant will have no chance of you know of of fighting against you because you're far more superior in every aspect and if we reach that stage there there's the danger and now your argument is that yeah but this child we raised it correctly we raised it to love us we, imagine like we we are loving of the ants so we care for them we don't kill them we take care of them yeah until our main goals contradict with those ants. <laughs> we want to build a house on this property. Then those ants, yeah. I'm sorry, you're ant colony, but we have to destroy you to build that house, right? And right. yeah, 
So, so here's a fascinating, so yeah, I think I remember Ray Kurzweil mainly. So when we haven't even talked about yet, like the fact that um, I, I think Ray's, Ray Kurzweil put forward this idea that we kind of will depend on AI because life is becoming so complex that we may not be able to, like even me as a programmer, for example, like when, when I work on tasks that I'm given can be very difficult because the complexity of the system that I have to understand um, is kind of usually too big for me to to grasp a full picture. And I, I have to sort of stumble around and, and sometimes get lucky in order to fix like a software bug, for example. Um, and, and in this sense, we're reliant on, on AI to cope with the incre increasing complexity in the world. But there's there's another side of this that occurred to me in, in thinking about our meeting today, which is it goes back to your timeline, but going back all the way to fire and, and agriculture, which is that um, I asked this question earlier and I, I forgot to mention the fact that so we're basically getting more leisure time um, with the Industrial Revolution, all, all these advancements. One of the consequences is that people have more time available to themselves. And one of the thoughts I have is I think I've noticed even just for myself and people that I know that, like, for example, meditation is becoming increasingly popular, even in just maybe the last 15 years. And I I, the I theorize that perhaps um, maybe we also evolve uh, due to this um increase in leisure time and ability to focus on tasks other than what we did in the past, we've had to focus a lot on just survival. Maybe we are able to expand our own consciousness at a rate that's, that's keeping up with, if not outpacing artificial intelligence. This isn't something I've heard much people talk about, but it's a thought that I've had that, you know, for example, we've heard scientists say that we use a small percentage of our brain. And I, I might theorize that, given artificial intelligence taking over the menial tasks of life if we're if we are able to focus more on things like uh um like leisure like art like exploration of in meditation and that sort of thing maybe we will gain access to dimensions of consciousness that we haven't had and maybe maybe is this theory of of, of artificial intelligence becoming more capable uh, than us may actually not be the case perhaps we are able to stay one step ahead of it because of this uh, new found uh, space, if you will, for being able to expand our, our own capabilities. And uh, But do you think the machine, oh, speaking of consciousness, so do you think that human have a unique ability to be conscious or do you think machines could also step on that giant? And what is consciousness in your head? Maybe, maybe here is where I could introduce um, you know, in in Western society, and, and I've had a little bit of exposure to like Eastern ways of thought that go most that come mostly from yoga, um, and in particular, if, if others want to listen, Sadhguru is the guy and who I was exposed to these ideas from. But but mostly, when we think of intelligence in the West, it comes from in the East, what they would only consider one of of really sixteen kinds of intelligence that they've identified. Um, but those 16 can be reduced into four basic categories and uh, intelligence as it's regarded, say, in academia is really only one of those four. Um, and in yoga, they have they have four kinds um, in, in the yogic terms are, are booty, uh, which is the intellect uh, as regarded, say, in academia, the, the, the usual sense of like dissection and science and and just uh, 
yeah, what's used in almost all fields of, uh, of like work. Um, there's another called an uh, uh, manas, which is basically memory. So, and I would, I would, I would say that the machines, the AI, have these first two because we know that you know computers have memory; they have way more than us. And I, I, I think you could argue for sure that they have this, this, uh, this, this idea. For, for example, going back to your sentence completion, finding the most probable next word. I, to me, that's a, that's a, that's a form of the first form of in intellect, which is finding what, what comes next. And it, but it has this silo of memory to go on. So those two go together in my, in, in my understanding, the booty and the manas are kind of, um, those two would, would, would pretty much cover most of what we generally regard as intelligence. So the manas perhaps being like what people on Jeopardy have a lot of because they're able to pull on such a, a wide memory of uh, things that they know. But, but just to, and then to, but to expand on that a little bit, it also includes like genetic memory. So the fact that like, my nose and eyes might be the same of like uh, very similar to my great grandfather or something like that. That that's included in Manas. Um, it's a it's this it's just this memory. So it's both what you know, but it's also this biological aspect of like what's in your DNA. Um, and then the other two would be uh, ahankara, which is identity. It's what you take yourself to be. Um, if I want to expand on that li a little bit, it could be you take yourself to be the person that, that you are, um, some, some would regard this as the ego, uh, but it could also be um, if you have a sense of identity with your country or your family. Um, Ahankara works with the first, mainly the first form of intelligence, the booty, the intellect, in that they go together in that the, this is just the way it works. The way it works is that the, the intellect serves whatever the identity is. So if you identify as a person, most of your choices, your activity will be um, will, will serve advancing or protecting the person. If, if your identity lies with your country, your intellect will serve protecting your country. Um, they have a fourth, which uh, the name for it in, in yoga is chitta. And that form of intelligence is, is what's regarded as consciousness. Uh, they also call it cosmic consciousness. And that form, that's the highest form of intelligence. The other three can't exist without it. And it's generally described as being always on, uh, even when you're asleep. So we, sometimes we'll talk about being unconscious when you're in, asleep, but in the yogic understanding of chitta consciousness, it, it's always on. And, and um, in that sense, you know, you in your waking state, you can recall your dreams. And so that's, you know, yeah, that what, is it? Conscious. Like, what is it? Like, what, what is it? it? Like, is it like an energy? When you say cosmic, like, is it available in the entirety of the universe? Is it, what, what is it and how does it interact with me? Does it make me, um, is it only for humans? Is it for plants as well? Is it for the stone? I don't, I don't, I don't think I can give you a direct answer, but yeah, we talked about, for example, on our hike, uh, you know, there are cultures in the world, many that uh, regard perhaps like the mountain and the river as having um, usually they'll, they'll have a, a deity associated with it. Um, and in that sense, they're sort of attributing a very high form of intelligence to those things. And I, I just kind of jokingly uh, use the example of perhaps we could even say, you know, if I, if I throw a stone, um, the stone knows when to stop. It doesn't just keep going. So in, in some sense, you could, you could attribute uh, a, a form of consciousness to it because it's reacting to, simu to stimuli. It's, it seems to know when to stop. Um, 
So to me, it's sort of a paradox. It's it's a fun paradox to think of. Like, I don't I don't know that I can say for sure that even a stone does or does not have consciousness. Um, but I, I think what I can say is there there seems at least to me to be much more potential for more consciousness in something like us than a stone, which seems to have very little uh, potential in it. Like to me, the most potential a stone has of becoming more conscious is to dissolve into dust and become a, become part of a carrot that I eat. And then it becomes me. Um, and, and in that sense, it's becoming more, more complex. Um, for me, I often think of increasing consciousness as, as also increasing complexity. So something that throughout time is, is not changing has very little consciousness but something that's able to evolve and become more complex over time is of a greater degree of consciousness or at least has more connection to that. But there's a lot of mysticism and, and different cultures, I think, have different ideas of, of how to kind of talk about consciousness. But it's 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 the most for foundational foundational form of intelligence. The other the other forms basically can't resist exist without it. But I don't know whether um, machines may eventually have it or not. But one of the thoughts I had in thinking about these four kinds was, was the identity aspect and this idea that um, the intellect uh, tends to work for whatever the identity is. And I get excited about thinking about, oh, then what's the, what's the machine going to identify with? Because if I, if I, if it identifies as something other than, than the rest of life, it may serve to serve itself. But if it, if it identifies as being part of all life, then, then I think that it's it will naturally work to serve all life. That's that's where I'm thinking. You still there? Did you get kicked off? I think we lost our host. I think you'll be back. Hopefully. Or did I get kicked off? Yeah, you see me, but you guys don't see nausea, right? <laughs> yeah, thanks. I didn't want to continue without nausea. I think we'll wait for him. And let, but I can answer questions if anyone wants to ask anything that I've, that I've uh, spoken of so far. While we wait for nausea. Thanks, Derek. Yeah. Um, and again, most of most of my thought just comes from consuming other people's thoughts. Um, and the most exciting ones that I've come across are uh, sort of the books Nausea's already mentioned coming from Raker as well. I think he's one of the former CEOs of Google, if not current. Um, entertainment industry can evolve. I can't speak a whole lot to it. I didn't use AI. Um, explicitly in my own job but be and i've 
had coworkers loosely talking about, I worked in the animation field um, and we're mostly just exploring like in, in the same way that for, for example, AI uh, can be used to do like completion of sentences. Um, we, at my work, they were interested in what, and maybe how can we do uh, AI to basically create, for example, maybe the, the, um, the animation of my mouth moving um, when doing animation, that animators usually do this kind of stuff oh, yep, by hand. But um, yeah, DreamWorks is interested in maybe seeing if uh, uh, if it, if AI can learn based on example and maybe one day be able to like automatically move uh, the model that we have for characters in animated movies and perhaps, for example, lip sync maybe automatically for the, for the shape that my make my hand, my mouth makes when I say oh. Uh, that it could learn that um, and do it for us. It's one of the potential things they're looking into. Uh, I think I, I I was disconnected for a little bit and I came back and I'm glad that you um, you're uh... a question from the audience that somebody wanted to know if uh, what in what way uh, AI might be used in the entertainment industry. And I can only specifically speak about in animation is the, the thing I'm most familiar with. Uh, That's so great. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're taking uh, questions because this is kind of what we want to do as well. Yep. Like we have uh, Jason, for example, who had uh, two uh, two things. He said, "What was the tipping point that made people start taking uh, talking about AI much more recently? When AI has been developing and increasing exponentially in the, in capability for years, Deep Blue Watson and now ChatGPT. So, what do you think?" I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's this sense of awe, basically, with chatting. I think since I learned what the Turing test is, and they teach us that in computer science school and university, I've always like wondered if I would one day sit at a, at a keyboard terminal and feel like I was talking to a human on the on the thing. And 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 yeah, I mean, I remember, and I will never forget the first time I talked to ChatGPT, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> it's I was pretty surprised. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the idea is because we started the texting, right? I think texting is a big cultural thing. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I think you got cut out again. Or did I? Shoot. Come back, Naja. Yep. I think what Naja was going to go on is, yeah, the, 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 yeah, he's back. You're back, Naja. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having some connectivity issues. Anyway. Okay. So, yeah, we're talking about um, about the chatting, and it's a cultural thing, but that's probably why ChatGPT was adopted pretty quickly because yeah. of the chatting feature and people like uh, it's kind of a medium that they are familiar with. Yeah, so I feel the same way. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, Jason also said, uh, humans become God by making AI, which becomes our God, since it will be so much more capable than us. Uh, what do you think of that? 
in the sense of intellect, I, it's guaranteed that the machine, anything that's based, and this is something Sad Guru has says, I'm, I'm basically quoting him. He's a guy I like to listen to a lot on YouTube. He's like, anything a machine can do, it's going to do better than us. So I agree with him in that sense. But I, it's an open question to me whether in these other forms of intelligence, one, whether even AI even has it yet. Like, does AI have a sense of intelligence? Yeah, at least for me, I want to say, I don't think it does yet. I think it's this deterministic, deterministic script. And even though I can't explain how it works, um, I don't think it has a sense of, of what it is, this identity. Um, Do you think um, AI is going to challenge what we know about religion and faith? Yeah, for sure it is. I think it already is. We wouldn't ask the question if it, if it weren't going to. The fact that just the fact that you even consider the question makes me know that it, it that it's going to. Um, yeah, yeah. Because when we talk about God, like it's, you know, I don't I don't want to offend anyone here because I know it's a very controversial controversial topic. But you know, some people like would really think that are we creating God? Like, are we? <laughs> Did we did we just unleash God or or something like God or maybe we mimicked uh, the God that we learned from from the scriptures, right? And we kind of created AI in that image or something. This that the way you just touched on is the way I've generally thought about it because in in nature there there tends to be this fractal pattern. Anything you look at has like this infinite. Um, zoom you could zoom out in and out infinitely and the patterns repeat themselves and i don't think that's just in the physical manifestation of reality it's in it's in the manifestation of behavior and and action um and the things that get created and and so i think in that sense it, you can look at macro macrocosms and microcosms and they reflect each other so the, that's why it's it's i think it's exactly the right way to think about it is it's it's that whatever has existed before um is just going to keep repeating itself. So these patterns, it's what comes out of AI is not going to be new in the sense that it's going to be based on the same kind of patterns that have always been here in the universe. Absolutely, and I think uh, I think we, we're now ready to to have more questions if, um, if 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 the people attending are interested in asking. Uh, but I think I want to retouch on the idea. I think the assumptions are whether what you're talking about consciousness as a fourth dimension or whatever, mm -hmm. some people would regard that as wishful thinking, that we humans, we are striving to remain unique, striving to say, you know what, we machines cannot reproduce us. Our brains have something unique to them. So there's a notion of, of like, we've continuously want, even religion, if you think about it, is wishful thinking. Like we want to, we want to wish that after we die, we go to heaven, we continue. And it could be like part of our wishful thinking right now is saying, you know what? Yes, we created uh, artificial intelligence, but no, we still have consciousness that the machine doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have. Yeah. And this comes from the assumption of, are we entirely a machine? Which, um, which um, uh, Byron Rees talks about in his book as well. Are we entirely a machine? Or are we an animal saying that, you know what, uh, we are not only biological machines that can be replicated by silicon. We are, we have biology and, and non-biology cannot be the same. That's the, the argument. That it's either we are machines 
that can be replicated with artificial means, or we are animals, which means that biology and physics cannot come together. Or there's a third notion saying that are we humans means that humans are distinctive from animals. So we're not only just animals who developed larger brain and achieved um, become more intelligent, but no, we are unique to this earth. We are humans and we have a superior nature to us that is different from anyone else. So it's a, the entire line of thinking is an intellectual one. And I don't, you've probably heard in, in various aspects of your life of um, there are certain things I think that the heart can know and the mind cannot. And this is my personal experience in life is that, um, for example, like one thing that comes to mind is, is to try to explain you, you love somebody. Um, to me, it's, it's not always rational. Uh, in fact, maybe, maybe most of the time it's not like even like one thing that comes to mind is when, when there's an abusive relationship and yet um, the, the abused still loves the abuser. There, there are a lot of aspects of reality that don't really seem to be explainable in terms of intellectual understanding based on rational mind thinking. Uh, I think it's a very small aspect of reality is, uh, is actually understandable by even just the very, the, uh, take a very academic example of the concept of infinity. And, you know, this, this exists one of the foundational things just in mathematics which is a very intellectual endeavor but but who who the heck can understand infinity um so i just these these questions to me are are always going to exist in the intellectual sense and, and, and i don't think i think you can always debate them and, and have interesting arguments on on, on both sides um, and i don't think and i think those can continue to evolve basically forever but an, an ultimate satisfactory answer to these questions, I think can only be had in the heart. And I don't think it's, I don't, to me, this is just my, my sense is, is the mind isn't going to have like a, uh, a rationally satisfying answer because these aspects of reality are greater than mind to me. They're greater than they exist beyond the mind. Absolutely. That was great. I think we've, uh, we've covered a lot of things and, um, deep conversations and interesting discussions. I want to thank you, Zach, honestly, for, for you know, being on the show and, like, having this um, candid conversation. And I want thank to you. Thank it's so much fun. Yeah, all the, all the people who joined us today, um, thank you for your time. And this, um, this live will be recorded and um, will be published on YouTube and other platforms. So... You're welcome also to share it with others if you find it uh, interesting and thought-provoking. So please help us in sharing it with uh, with, uh, with 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 all your friends, and, and hopefully we can um, you know have more of these. That's what I was going to say. I hope we do it again. Absolutely, we should. And I think you are interested in in talking about other areas as well, which is I'm also interested in. So we can always agree and. Uh, jump on another one cool awesome thank you very much and have a wonderful day have a wonderful saturday guys